Amen. I think you guys have Bibles in your in the pews, and uh, the, it's page five fifty nine. So if you want to turn to your Bible, that'd be great. I'm actually going to start in verse uh, verse eight instead of verse nine. Yeah, if you want to write notes, you can do that. It'd be awesome. Come on in, everybody. So if you don't know me, I'm Dan Breed. I'm the pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Appleton. And it's been a joy to be with you guys this summer. I've gotten a chance to, to preach a little bit and as Josh and I trade off. So... This is my last time. I don't know when I'll be back again. Hopefully, I should come up. Morning service might be a little harder for me. So, uh, yeah, swap sometime. Who knows what could happen. But it's been a joy being with you. Thank you for having me. And, uh, yeah. Well, episode one of Hard Knocks. Uh, If you don't know what Hard Knocks is, it's basically an HBO show that uh, follows an NFL team and its training camp. So episode one is a few weeks into the Cleveland Browns training camp. And uh, really what it's shown is uh, these guys have gone through a summer of lifting, these NFL players. They've spent a lot of time in the film room. Uh, They've done a lot of tackling. They've uh, experienced the coaches yelling at them a lot of times. And then the pressure of making the team is also there for many of these players. And on top of that, it's the Cleveland Browns, which has a rich history of losing. Um, So you can see in the episode one of Hard Knocks that the pressure is just weighing on this team. But then enters in Christian Kirksey, he's one of the leading, leading linebackers for the Cleveland Browns, and he feels this pressure, too, that the team is feeling, and he talks to him. He says, hey, everyone, take out a piece of paper. So all the players take out a piece of paper. He says, I want you to write down on this piece of paper the answer to this question. Why do you play football? Why do you do this? Is it money? Is it making a better life for your family? Is it the love of the game? That's what I want you to do. I want you to write down your answer. Then I want you to do, when you go back to your dorm room or whatever it is for training camp where you're staying, I want you to put it on the ceiling. Or maybe put it on the bathroom mirror. Or put it next to your bed. And I want you to look at that every time you wake up to motivate you. Say, why am I doing all of this? Why am I going through the struggle, the pain, the drama of training camp in the NFL? Well, the thing is, Christian Kirksey's question on hard knocks is asking the very question we've been trying to answer all summer long in Ecclesiastes. Why do you do it? Why do you do it? Why do you do the hours at work? Why do you go back to school and put the hours in there, in the library? Why do you change diapers? 
Why do you spend so much time at the gym? Why do you do the struggles you do in life? Maybe it's a good question for us. Maybe on that piece of paper, you should pull it out too. Why do you do it? This thing called life. Why do you do it? Well, we've been waiting 12 weeks. 12 weeks to hear the final answer of that. What does it mean? Why do we do it? And it's going to be found right here. As this preacher puts down on paper why we do it. So let's find out together, shall we? I'm going to read the scripture passage for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Let's read it together here. Okay, sorry, start in verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The word of the Lord. Well, like I said, if you're just joining us, I'm sorry, we're at the end. But you probably came at the right time, okay? So, because this is the sum of the matter, okay? You're going to get the best part, hopefully. (laughs) So 12 weeks, we've been with this guy named Koheleth. In Hebrew, it's Koheleth, and in English it means the preacher. This isn't just any preacher. This is a king. This is a guy that has experienced so much in life. And what we see is, in Ecclesiastes, he's, he's going what I would call a quest or a search. And he has experienced all to the greatest degree the things that the world has to offer. Power, wealth, work, relationships, comedy. He's experienced all these things, and what he's trying to find is, what is the purpose of it all? What does it all end in? The thing is, I find it interesting. In the business, we call this an inclusio. It's a nice seminary word. It just basically means bookends. At the beginning of the book, the preacher says, all is vanity. All this experience, all that I've done, all that I've taken in, it is all vanity. Meaning, it's all meaningless. Like I've said over and over again, it's all hevel. That's the Hebrew word for vanity. It really means just vapor or smoke. He's tried to find meaning in all of these things. And what he says, it, it's an enigma. I try to find meaning in it, but it just slips through my hands. I can't find meaning in this quest, in this search of all these things I do. 
Well, he says that at the beginning of the book, and then he's gone through this whole experience, this whole quest, and he says it at the end. Verse 8, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. So that is the bookends of what the preacher says. But then we see something happens. We see now it's not the preacher talking. Instead, it's an outside observer. Maybe it's the person that arranged all the preacher's sayings in verses 9 through 14. And he is now observing all that the preacher says, and he's making a commentary on it. And he is saying what it all means. Maybe you're going to take an informal survey. You don't have to raise your hand, but I, I want to find out. Maybe you can answer this in your heart. Are you the kind of person that, just give me the bottom line at the beginning. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do at the very beginning. Don't give me the sales pitch. I know the people that come to my door and try to paint my house. You know, they give me all this spiel, and then I just want to hear how much is it going to cost, right? Maybe you're that kind of person that just wants the answer at the beginning. Just give it to me. I'm sorry, if you're that person, that's, this is not the book for you, Ecclesiastes. But good news you're here today because the answer is going to be here. But the thing is, if you wanted the answer at the beginning, read the book of Proverbs because it gives it to you right away when you read Proverbs what the answer is. But Ecclesiastes gives the answer at the end. And I think it does that for a myriad of reasons. I want to give two. One it does that because I think many of us think we have the answer. Oh, I understand what the truth is. I know what, how it ends. I know what really matters. But Ecclesiastes really makes us think, do you really live in the reality of that answer? And it tries to wake you up. Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you don't believe in the answer that Ecclesiastes gives at the end. Maybe you doubt that. That's another reason the answer comes at the end, because what it does is it answers the skeptic and says, here, here is what life looks like if you do not have this answer in your life, that all that matters is what God does. And he says, if, if that's you, you're the skeptic, I want to take you through the journey of all I've experienced of life, just what's under the sun, and I want to show to you it is meaningless. It is vanity. Well, Koheleth takes us through literary twists, experiments. He nudges us. He shocks us through this whole book. And he really is coming at the end. What is the point of it all? Why do we do it? What is on the sheet of paper? Let's find out, shall we? Let's see what someone says about observing all that this preacher has said. Verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. You know, many of us can walk away from the book of Ecclesiastes and say, what a cynical book. What a book, talking about vanity, vanity, meaningless, meaningless. The thing is, that's not what the observer sees of this book. He says, this is wise. The preacher gives knowledge. 
he arranges this with great care, all that he has written. And the preacher sought to find words of delight. This is good and truth. I mean, this is a good thing that the preacher has said. If you know this, but there's many colloquial phrases we use in the English language now that comes from Ecclesiastes. That's how much this book, I guess, is a delight. The sun also rises, Ecclesiastes. To everything there is a season, Ecclesiastes. Eternity in the hearts of man, Ecclesiastes. Cast your bread upon the waters, Ecclesiastes. The thing is, Kohelet's not saying that everything that we experience in life, everything under the sun is bad. If you were here for Joshua's sermons, you probably realize that. Things in this world are amazing. They are beautiful. And Koheleth points it out. Love your wife all the days of your life. Drink and be merry. Except college students under 21, please don't drink. Whatever you are good at, do it with all your might. It's beautiful. You see, Koheleth is not the first or the last person to go through this search. This trying to find the beauty and experience of the world and what you've done. Maybe you feel that way. I'm going to get as much experience out of this world as I possibly can. I wonder what it is for you. I'm going to travel as many places as I can. Maybe it's I'm going to do as many adventures as I can. I I want to skydive. I want to bungee jump. I don't know. I just want the thrill. Maybe it's I'm going to have the greatest wine collection I can possibly have. I don't know. Maybe that's what you love. Maybe it's I'm going to try to collect as many beanie babies as there is humanly possible. That is what the search is of life. You know, you might not label what you're doing as the search, but it just might be what brings you exhilaration. It might be that thing that brings you purpose or meaning. You are searching for something. I got to read a book this summer, a fiction book. I don't often do that. This is a book called The Movie Goer by Walker Percy. If you are in your 20s, you have to read this book. It's so good. came out in 1961, book of the year. And it follows this 20-something stockbroker in New Orleans. And he is on what he calls his search to find meaning. And you see why they call the movie the moviegoer. I'll read a little quote from it. This is what he says. The fact is, I'm quite happy in a movie. Even a bad movie. Other people, so I've read, treasure memorable moments in their lives. The time one climbed the Parthenon at sunrise. The summer night one met a lonely girl in Central Park and achieved with her a sweet and natural relationship, as they say in books. I, too, once met a girl in Central Park but it was not much to remember. But what I do remember is the time John Wayne killed three men with a carbine 
as he was falling to the dusty street in Stagecoach. If you don't know John Wayne, he's a movie character. And what does this young man do? To find exhilaration, to try to find purpose, he goes to movie after movie, sitting in the movie theater alone, to try to find meaning in life and to try to find exhilaration in his life. It's a book of beautiful imagery. You see, this this young man loves sports cars and he buys many of them. He has money. He jumps from relationship to relationship, all to find meaning. And he says this. What is the nature of the search, you ask? The search is what anyone would undertake if you were not sunk in the everydayness of his own life. To become aware of the search is to be on to something. Not to be on to something is to be in despair. Hear me, please. Okay? Maybe you've checked out when I read quotes, but please listen to this. Ecclesiastes and the book The Movie Goer, they take us on amazing journeys of experiences of life. But unlike other books, they are books that try to make us go, are you examining your life? What does the experiences bring? What can you get out of them? Is there meaning? Is there purpose? Like Ecclesiastes, the moviegoer has an inclusio. It starts with this quote. It's a quote from Kierkegaard. It says, the specific character of despair is precisely this. Please listen, I'll say it again. The specific character of despair is precisely this. It is unaware of being despair. I promise I won't ruin the book for you. This is the end. But trust me, the end doesn't give away the book. So here is this young man. 29 years old, experienced all of these things, done all of his search, trying to find meaning and purpose in life. And then he is driving down the road and he parks and he looks at a church and out comes an African-American man and he's just been there for Ash Wednesday and he notices he has ashes on his foreheads, forehead and he says, you know what, I'm going to watch this man. There's something interesting about this man. I'm going to watch this man. And so he watches him. This is how the book ends. When he gets in his Mercury, his car, he does not leave immediately, but sits looking down at something on the seat beside him. What is it? A sample case? An insurance manual? I watch him closely in the rearview mirror. It is impossible to say why he is here. Is it part and parcel of the complex business of coming up in the world? Or is it because he believes that God himself is present here at the corner of Elysian Fields and 3rd Street? Or is he here for both reasons? Through some dim, dazzling trick of grace, coming from the one and receiving the other as God's own persistent bonus. Is there some transcendence, he says? Is this man looking at something that there is something greater than just the search in this world? 
And this is how he ends the book. He says, it is impossible to say. I don't know. You see, the wisdom and truth of Ecclesiastes is not just describing to us something beautiful of life under the sun. The beauty of Ecclesiastes is pointing to us that there is something more. There is something above the sun. Let's keep going, okay? Verse 11 through 12. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails. Firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. If you don't know what a goat is, really what it was is a shepherd would have a staff and on the end of his staff he might sharpen it or maybe it's a stick that's pointy to begin with and he would use this staff to poke those stubborn sheep. If they went one way or another, he said, no, I want you to go this way and we'd poke it to make sure it goes in the right direction. You see what he's saying? Ecclesiastes is speaking to you. Stubborn sheep. It's goading you. It's making you think. How does Ecclesiastes make you think? One, it talks about death a lot. It says constantly, you are going to die. It also says, you know what? You can be a leader and a king and kings are brought up and kings are brought down like that. It says you can have possessions. In one minute you have all these things, the next minute they are gone. What Ecclesiastes does, it hangs us over the cliff. And it says, what really matters? I love it. I think it was someone in your church. We were at the last summer conversation, and he said, I don't know, Jeremy, it was, you were at, a, a, I think, a graveyard, and there was a tombstone. And over time, the name of the person on the tombstone had totally withered away over time. You see, even your name will no longer be remembered. One day, no one will remember you on this earth. That is how Ecclesiastes goads us to say, what matters? What is everlasting? And then it just says this. It says, not just goading us, but it says, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. It's fascinating that this book is talking about vapor and smoke and not being able to pin anything down. But then the narrator says, no, Ecclesiastes is like nails. It's something firm that I can nail in. It's firmly embedded so I can actually hang the things in my life on something. That actually the things I do in life, my work, my school, they can be hung on something that is firm. And you see this as you read Ecclesiastes. It says, eternity is in the soul of everyone. It says, there is a God that we are supposed to fear. There is something above the sun. There is something solid. And where does it come from? They are given by what? By one shepherd. This is probably referring to God himself, as God is referred to as a shepherd in Psalms consistently. So the question is, does the search goad us? <laughs> the search for meaning in your life. 
Does it make you see that something actually might have meaning or not? Are things permanent? Do you see the shepherd? Listen, you don't, have to, you don't have to go far to know that everyone in this world is searching. You might have a spouse that is just flailing because things are not working out well in life and they're just searching for meaning. You might have someone in school that you're with that goes, I don't know why I do this. A brother, a sister, a neighbor, maybe you feel that way. You know, I've used tried examples, right? Hard knocks, a book, literature, the moviegoer. Maybe I should use a pop culture reference, right? Right? We got college students here, pop culture, here we go, right? Right? Yeah, pop culture, yeah. YouTube, right? Is that what we, Instagram, they're supposed to just say these buzzwords every once in a while and it's cool, right? Snapchat, yeah, he's hip. But, you know, here, I like to know what's going on. So there's one guy that I saw has been goaded through the experiences of life. He's named Bo Burnham. Maybe you know Bo Burnham. Bo became, became famous when he was 14 for his YouTube videos. He's a comic. He plays the piano and sings silly songs. I'm commenting on them. I'm not encouraging you to watch them. I'm commenting on him. But what's interesting is Bo is now 27 years old. He's been on the pinnacle of the YouTube channels. He has gotten a lot of money. He's become very famous. He sells out major shows in New York and D.C. He's just recently directed a movie that's getting a lot of award buzz. And I saw him play at New York, in New York. And what he does at the end of his show, he auto-tunes a song. And you guys know what auto-tune is? It's where you distort your voice, right? Like that, you know, it's the hip thing that rappers do nowadays. And that's what he does at the end of the show. He auto-tunes. So here he is at the end of the show making fun of Kanye or whatever it might be and their auto-tunes. And he does it through silly jokes. And one thing he talks about is um, going to Chipotle. And when he goes to Chipotle, right, he orders a burrito, and he wants the burrito expert to be able to fit everything in the burrito the right way. But the problem is, the burrito expert doesn't tell him that he's got too much stuff in there. And then he gets to the end of the line, and when he's folding the tortilla, it all falls out. And he's frustrated at this. Why didn't you tell me I was putting too much stuff in the burrito? And people are just laughing at the show. This is the end of the show. It's in New York. People are just going crazy. It's funny. Because he's doing auto-tunes. But little did we know that he was using this as an allegory. The allegory was this. I wish someone had told me that all of this fame, all of this money, all of this pressure to please the crowd would not have fit. That it would have been meaningless. You don't know it's an allegory until all the lights come down and then they come back up and he says, I want to tell you something. And he's auto-tuned, he's got all these lights, he's right down, he's looking at the audience and there's a fan coming out, so it's kind of funny. And he's looking at this audience 
after he's entertained them for a whole hour. And this is what he says. Part of me loves you. And part of me hates you. Part of me needs you. And part of me fears you. And then he goes into the chorus, I don't think I can handle this right now. I don't think I can handle this right now. And then he says something so poignant. Please hear this. Look at them, the audience. They're staring at me. Like, come and watch this skinny kid with a steadily declining mental health and laugh as he attempts to give you what he cannot give himself. Here is this 27-year-old kid at the height of all the powers of YouTube, of all the fame that's directed his own Hollywood movie that is at sold-out shows in New York and all over the place. And what is he saying? It's meaningless. It's vanity. And then he says, you probably don't want to hear it anyway, so let me just keep on going with on with the show. And he sings the chorus line to his fun jam and raps it all out. And people are laughing and have a good time. And he ends it and he says, I hope you're happy. And drops the mic. This is sad on so many fronts. It's sad on one front that many of you, I I don't have as young of an audience in my church, so I'm going to talk to you, college students. Because of the pressures of showing yourself on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it might be, there is a pressure to appear a certain way to everyone. And you have to keep it up. Even if you are dying inside. That's sad. But I think what is more sad is this. Bo Burnham leaves us with nothing. Nothing but this refrain that I hear over and over again in this culture. Just be real, man. He's just being authentic. He's just finding himself. That's all that matters. Please hear me. Please. I hope that you do not fall in love with the searching. But I hope you would fall in love with an answer. I love what Paul says in Timothy. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. That is what some people are at. And here it says it here. Don't go, my son. Beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Do you really want to hear an answer to the search? Okay, maybe I bored you. Maybe I'll bore you a little bit more. C.S. Lewis... Okay, right? If you have, listen, if you're in college, you've got to read this book, The Great Divorce. Okay? It's probably one of the best books ever written. Okay? I read it every year. 
and every year I get something more out of it. It's not very big. It's basically an allegory between uh, a meeting place between heaven and hell, and these people meet together. And here, this one angel is talking to this man that's coming from hell, and he's talking to him about um, life. And here this angel says to this man, he says, I can promise you no scope of your talents, only forgiveness for having perverted them. No atmosphere of an inquiry, for I will bring you to the land of questions, not of questions, but of answers. And you shall see the face of God. And here the man responds, Ah, but we must all interpret those beautiful words in our own way. For me, there is no such thing as a final answer. The free wind of inquiry must always continue to blow through the mind. Must it not? And then the narrator who's watching this conversation says this. No argument, no appeal will avail against this infinite elasticity. The encounter already fruitless ends with a gentle sophist remembering an appointment making his apologies, and hurrying off to a discussion group in hell. I I guess I could have read the book of Ecclesiastes, the answer at the very beginning of the book, but it doesn't do that. I could have highlighted it, James highlighted it earlier. But I do wonder for you, Do you really want to hear the answer? Do you want to really believe that there is an answer to the search? That there is a reason and purpose for life? That this world is not just chaotic, spinning out of control, but actually there is a God that is watching everything you do, that cares for you, that loves you, that says your life has meaning and purpose. And the whole purpose of your life is to honor him. To be in submission to him. That is the answer. That's the answer to this whole riddle. That's the answer to the whole search. The whole answer is to abide in the Lord. To fear him. To obey his commandments. That is the answer to this life. But do you want to hear it? There's one other guy that had a search. He's a military guy. He was in the Navy. Had a family. Very successful football coach. Went to church. Everything was good. And this is his, his letter, right? His, what he wrote on his piece of paper. And I'm going to read it to you here. This is this man's search. It's a little long. Please pay attention. In the winter of 1984, our, pastoral, our pastor planned a youth retreat at a local camp. The kids were challenged about the many gods in their lives and how it hindered their spiritual growth. He referred to many of the specific clothes or shoes they thought they needed to fit in with the crowd. He vividly shared the gospel and what it meant to give all your heart, mind, body, and soul to God. So on Saturday night, we gathered around a fireplace for reflection, honesty, and repentance. 
Our, po- our pastor had set a high end of basketball shoes on the mantle over the fireplace to re- represent the things or relationships that were over the kids. Right? The search. Where do we find meaning? He challenged them to pray, and if they felt led, to come forward to confess and repent of loving those things over God. They were to grab a stick on the hearth, break it, and throw it in the fire, asking God to break those strongholds in their hearts. And as the kids began to go forward, I sat there shaking, my heart beating so hard I thought everyone could hear it. And I knew that God was speaking directly to me. I fought it, rationalizing that this retreat was for the kids. Tears on my cheeks, fearful and pounding heart until I could not stand it no more. I stood up, or God lifted me up, and I moved to the fireplace for the first time in my life. I was transparent before God and others. My heart was stripped of years of false worship, lies, people-pleasing, and other things. I confessed all the things that had kept me from giving all of my heart to God. I broke a stick and threw it in the fireplace, asking God to break those strongholds in my life. As all the dirt came pouring out, God's love flowed freely back in. Radical transformation began in me that night, impacting every area of my spiritual, emotional, and physical life that is still going on. It has been quite a ride that God has had me on since those years. Years filled with trials and blessings. God has been faithful to me in breaking the sinful strongholds in my life, but he hasn't done them all at once. It has been a growing, maturing process that I'm still going through. God continues to convict me of sin. I certainly do not have it all together. I need Christ every day, and I need to be in his word and keep me focused and always moving towards him. Christ is my identity and my security, and I no longer need to succumb to the fear of man issues that too much defined me in the past. You might not care, but I got this from a friend of mine, a man that I loved very much, who died just a month ago. I was asked to give his funeral. And I opened the Bible, and I was actually searching in the pockets, and I found this letter. He was an elder at our church. Some of you might not know him. His name was Bruce Marker. Here is a guy that went to church. Here is a guy that had it all together, that was on the search, and finally said, God, I finally see what it's all about. It's about fearing you. It's about obeying you. Some of you know Bruce. He was amazing. He was a leader in our church. He probably helped plant the church in Appleton. You might not care. (laughs) But I'll tell you this. I hope that pricks you. I hope it goads you. I hope it makes you think there is something worthwhile in this world. There is something that is worth living for. Because there's a God that watches and cares for you in every step you take. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this is the sum of the matter. To fear you and to obey you. 
We search and search for meaning. And it's right there before us. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In your son's name, amen.